What in the world is up with the Wars? After a month without a win, we look at where the Warriors are going wrong and if they can turn things around. For that and everything else worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's story is called Did His Partner Try to Poison Him? It's by Martin Van Banen, who joins me now. Kia ora, Martin. Hello, Philippa. So this story, it's a little bit creepy, isn't it? The idea that somebody might have been poisoned. How did you find investigating it? Well, it was a long, um, a long haul, really. I've been talking uh, with the elite victim for about five years, off and on, and he was never ready to tell his story until just recently. We did know about it very soon after Sheila Dawson took her own life and we did write a sort of a brief summary of what had happened but we never had um, all the details and and this was the first time that Steve Lewis spoke in detail. So as you say you've got a lot of details in there but do you think we'll ever definitively know the truth of what happened? We can only follow the evidence and the evidence seems to point very clearly at Sheila Dawson as being the poisoner of her partner. It's hard to know what else uh, Steve would have would have been suffering from if it wasn't the poison because after he left Sheila, there was no recurrence of, of his physical issues. Look, I think we're pretty much 100% there, but in this job, you never cease to be surprised. Indeed. So is there a lesson to be learned? Maybe trust your gut if you think something's wrong? Yes, maybe. Uh I've covered a couple of cases like that, uh, but I think if if you've got a gut instinct about these things, then you could be right, but you could be wrong too. And you you wouldn't want to ruin a relationship by accusing your partner of poisoning you when in fact all she was showing was was a tremendous concern for your health. Thanks, Martin. Now here's John O. Williams reading Martin's story. Builder Stephen Lewis rarely took a day off sick, but on July 14, 2017, he felt drunk, hazy and unsteady on his feet. The next day, the then 48-year-old couldn't even stand falling over if he tried. He lay in bed, increasingly worried as his ability to move seemed to be disappearing. His partner, Sheila Dawson, 59 years old, a retired epidemiologist who had been a researcher at the Otago University School of Medicine in Christchurch, rang 111. In Christchurch Hospital, Lewis started having hallucinations and couldn't sit upright in bed. He was admitted about 7.30pm and treated as if he had brainstem inflammation, given some antibiotics. Tests showed he had a Campylobacter infection, but that didn't explain his symptoms. He improved markedly over the next 48 hours and was discharged six days later. On Saturday, July 22, he was at home, resting. And then his memory went blank. The blank continued into Sunday and into Monday. All he knows for sure is that he was brought to hospital by an ambulance after Dawson apparently found him naked on the floor of their bedroom. Arriving unconscious, he was put into an induced coma and rushed to intensive care. On Wednesday, he was moved to a ward where he stayed for the next nine days until discharge 
He wasn't home long. After three days, he sickened and was readmitted to Christchurch Hospital, where he stayed another four days. Doctors still mystified about what exactly ailed him. He didn't return home. In a phone call, Dawson told him she didn't want him back and she would put his belongings and tools in a container on the property. With nowhere to go, Lewis went to a hotel. Stephen Lewis first met Sheila Dawson in 2012 when he built some wardrobes in her house in Papua Nui, a suburb of Christchurch. She had lost her husband Graham, who died after a colonoscopy went wrong in 2009. They kept in touch and in 2015 began a relationship. Within a few months, he moved into her home in Richmond, Christchurch, and the cohabitation was, as far as Lewis was concerned, reasonably happy. Dawson, despite her qualifications, essentially kept house while Lewis went to work as a self-employed bathroom renovator. In the past, he had managed his parents' dairy farm in Golden Bay and worked on fishing boats, both in New Zealand and overseas. Trained in engineering, he had picked up a wide variety of skills over the years. Sheila Dawson was born in Ayrshire, Scotland, trained as a nurse and worked hard over many years to get her doctorate in medical science. She moved to New Zealand in 2003 with her husband, who was a firefighter, and their two youngest children. By the time he was discharged from hospital for the last time, Stephen Lewis strongly suspected Sheila Dawson was responsible for his sorry state. Although he had no proof and was still confused about what had actually happened, he was pretty sure Dawson had tried to kill him by poisoning him. Dawson, something of a hypochondriac, who was on about 18 different medications prescribed for chronic pain and depression, had access to a plethora of drugs. Lewis's suspicions arose when he first became ill. Dawson had taken away his phone and seemed in no hurry to call a doctor. She had a shower and did some housework before calling 111. He says, I just had this gut feeling something wasn't right, and I told the ambulance crew to get me out of here. When the ambulance was backing up into the hospital, the paramedics asked me, what's going on? I said I was just having a bad day and I was starting to dismiss my previous suspicions. Stephen Lewis says, you don't believe someone is trying to do you harm and you don't understand what's going on, but there was a gut feeling something wasn't right. The suspicions deepened after the second bout of illness. The first clue was his memory blank. According to Dawson, she had found him on the bedroom floor, not breathing normally, shaking and trying to crawl under the bed. But he was also hypothermic, that's low body temperature caused by exposure to cold, which made Stephen Lewis wonder how long he'd been lying naked in the bedroom before she called an ambulance. Then came an incident which would almost seal the deal. On July 26, he was discharged from intensive care and taken to a ward. He was still very weak, but recovering. Dawson sat by his bedside into the evening, and he woke from a doze to see her by the biohazard container in the room. She told him she was trying to retrieve a receipt she had thrown into the bin. Later, he woke when he felt a tug on the lure in his arm. 
A syringe containing what he thought was yellow fluid with bubbles on top was attached to the lure, and Dawson, wearing blue surgical gloves, had her thumb on the plunger. Lewis says, I yelled out and nurses came running. Sheila panicked and dropped the syringe on the floor. She quickly picked it up before the nurses arrived. Sheila Dawson would later explain she was wearing the gloves to fix her phone, and Lewis had confused her yellow pen for a syringe. She claimed the nurses searched her bag, which was untrue, and later changed her explanation for the gloves, saying Lewis had been coughing over her and she wanted to protect herself. Lewis had only just come out of intensive care, so the kerfuffle could have been dismissed as a hallucination. He says, If they had said to me you were hallucinating, I would have accepted that given I'd just come out of ICU. But I would have found it hard to accept because I know what I saw. Over the next few days, he had various psychiatric assessments, but nothing suggested he had not been clear and coherent on that first day in the ward. He took a taxi home eight days later to find Dawson ill in bed. He was back in hospital a few days later. On discharge, he was told his urine screen had shown the presence of midazolam, amitriptyline, nortriptyline, and tramadol, all medications that Dawson had been prescribed. Stephen Lewis hadn't taken any of them. Over the next few months, Stephen Lewis recovered in Golden Bay. It crossed his mind that he had made a terrible mistake in accusing Dawson, but the urine screen didn't lie. None of the symptoms that put him in hospital recurred. He wrestled with whether he should involve the police. He says he thought, do I go to the police or don't I? I felt that if I went to the police and she was prosecuted, that would be a punishment when the real issue was mental health and she needed help. My thoughts were around how we could get her help. He carries on, I talked to lawyers and they said if we try to sort this out in-house and she does it again, we're going to look really stupid. You have to go to the police. He says, I got my medical records and started going through them and then saw more of the picture and how blatant it was, really. In November 2017, Stephen Lewis went to the Christchurch Central Police Station to tell his story. It would take all day and he was struck by how seriously the police took his complaint. Perhaps it was because of an earlier case. In May 2009, truck driver Philip Nisbet was found dead in his Chickitsav home in Hallswell in Christchurch. Detectives concluded he had taken his own life, but Nisbet's sister, Leanne Cartier, suspected his partner, Helen Milner, had poisoned him. Her amateur sleuthing forced police to reinvestigate, and Milner was found guilty of murder in 2013. Evidence showed she had poisoned Nisbet with anti-allergy medication and probably smothered him as he lay unconscious. Today on Newsable, are the Waz in trouble? What the Warriors need to do to get back on track after a month without any wins. Plus, the story of the Canterbury cocaine cartel and introducing the most boring man in the world. Could he be the cure to sleeplessness? For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts.
Now back to the long read from Stuff. Stephen Lewis last saw Sheila Dawson in November 2017 when he went to her house to collect his tools and belongings. Dawson was very upset and refused Lewis' entry to the house to check if he had all his things. Exchanges were tense and bitter. She accused Lewis of planting the animal sedative xylazine in her garage and chided him for his ungratefulness over the time she had looked after him when he was sick. He said, She was saying she had cleaned up my vomit and this was how I thanked her. She was trying to put it back on me. As they parted for the last time, he turned to her and said, I know what you did. Police interviewed Dawson on December 20, 2017. Over a three-hour interview, she denied making an attempt to poison Lewis and accused him of reacting badly to the breakup, claiming he was miffed at losing a cheap place to stay. She said he had never paid her rent, despite her requests. Lewis says he actually paid $400 a week into a joint kitty. When she asked for rent, he put in more money, but then she changed her mind and told him not to bother. By Christmas of 2017, police had begun investigating in earnest, calling the inquiry Operation Medway after the street where Dawson and Lewis lived together. Over the next five months, they would uncover some startling information. The most damning discovery was the fact Sheila Dawson had taken out an insurance policy on Stephen Lewis's life. On his death, she would receive half a million dollars. Lewis knew Dawson had taken out some sort of insurance for their trip overseas the previous year, but thought it was travel insurance covering health or accident events. In an email to the insurance company, Dawson pretended to be Lewis, and had herself entered as the beneficiary of the policy. The premiums were paid out of the joint kitty, and Dawson continued paying them even after the breakup. Lewis says, that made me think she still wanted to have another go. When the police told me about the policy, it was quite a moment. The blood literally drained from my face. An examination of Sheila Dawson's internet search record showed many searches pertinent to a plan to poison. In April 2017, she went to sites about ricin, including one titled Poisoning for Dummies. How much skill does it take to brew up a batch of ricin? She also searched the effects of eating raw chicken. In June and July of the same year, before Lewis was first admitted to hospital, she researched the effects and interactions of various medications, including oxycodone, and sites showing how specific drugs reacted with the antidepressant amitriptyline. And tellingly, after the syringe incident, she went to a site specifying what air bubbles in an IV line do. Also, if she was committed to the relationship, it was curious that in May of 2017, she began searching a dating website. Police also looked closely at the way Dawson's husband Graham, a retired firefighter, had died at 54 of multi-organ failure. Some questions were left hanging in the air. For one thing, how did Sheila Dawson get Stephen Lewis to ingest the medications? Lewis reckons she put them in cups of tea or coffee, or possibly in strongly flavoured food like fish pie. 
On August 22, 2017, Dawson told Lewis's sister-in-law, Lisa, her own theory. She said she had found her medications in Stephen Lewis's toilet bag. At that stage, she didn't know about the results of his urine test, and Lewis says it was a nice try, but a lie nonetheless. Then there was the question of Dawson calling 111. If she was trying to kill him, she would have wanted the medication to take full effect and not call for help until it was too late. Lewis reckons Dawson was forced to call for an ambulance because a visitor arrived to see him in distress. Ambulance crew reported seeing another male in the house when they arrived on July 15. And was Dawson's motive purely money? Lewis doesn't think it was. He says, ultimately, I think it's a mental health issue, which doesn't necessarily give a clear-cut, logical answer. I think she felt aggrieved about what happened to her in her life, and the insurance payment would be an acknowledgement of the pain. Another puzzling aspect of the case is why Lewis went back home to Dawson after the syringe incident in the hospital. And he still struggles with the answer. He says, I thought about that for years, I think it was that I didn't think she'd have another go. Sheila Dawson went into 2018 with the police inquiry hanging over her. To her family, she appeared her usual self, going out with friends, exercising, and despite her myriad health problems, coping with daily life independently. On May 9, detectives visited Lewis, who was then living in Christchurch. They grilled him on his movements and then told him... Sheila Dawson had been found dead in her home by her son that day. It was a suspected suicide. Stephen Lewis wasn't surprised. He had mixed feelings, but felt mainly sadness. He says, I was really upset about it. It's a sad story that someone is driven to kill someone and then takes their own life. Dawson's children, all in their 30s at the time, told police Stephen Lewis would not be welcome at her funeral. At the time of her death, the police investigation file was being prepared for review by the Crown solicitor. It appeared an arrest was imminent. The police investigation wasn't Dawson's only problem. She was also being investigated by the Ministry of Social Development for benefit fraud, and the day before her death had been interviewed under caution by ministry investigators. At the time, she was receiving four separate benefits. It appeared she was not entitled to two of them and was receiving too much on a third. She had lied about her relationship with Stephen Lewis, calling him her flatmate, and about receiving pension payments from the UK. She had claimed for an accommodation supplement, but her mortgage was paid off in 2015. And that wasn't all. It appeared she had claimed ACC funding for counselling over a fictitious accident in January 2017. Sheila Dawson's death stopped the police inquiry, but not Stephen Lewis's efforts to find out more. The police were reluctant to give him anything from their file, but after appeals to the Privacy Commissioner and the Ombudsman, he succeeded in getting at least a redacted version of the police files on the poisoning investigation and on Dawson's death. 
The physical effects of the poisoning and the mental stress of those years have left him with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. He says, logically, it could have been caused by the fact someone was trying to kill me. No doubt that had a lot to do with it, but also a lot of it was getting my head around this and fighting to get information and fighting to get help. I was trying to work and on the phone all day. It was just a huge amount of stress, he says. He had to battle to get ACC to recognise his condition was the result of foul play and then to get counselling. He says, initially I didn't think I needed it, but I got to a point where I felt, yeah, I was in trouble. On a beautiful day in Golden Bay, where Stephen Lewis now lives on a property with an orchard and plenty of space on the outskirts of Takaka, life is not too bad. Although the PTSD still makes it difficult for him to work more than half a day. The flashbacks, nightmares and broken nights have subsided, but something remains undone. He needs to tell his story. He says, It's not something I want to do. It's something I need to do for myself. I've always seen telling the story as the beginning of the end. He wants a public inquest into Sheila Dawson's death, so the facts can be made public, especially after Dawson's family, in a public statement, insinuated that he was on a vendetta against their mother and motivated by breakup spite. The inquest file was recently transferred to a new coroner, and no decisions about the type of inquest have been made yet. Stephen Lewis says, I always said to myself, I'll give it five years, and now five years is up. Part of the way I see this, and I hope this won't be misinterpreted, is that I have made those accusations that she tried to kill me. According to the response from the family, I made this up to disparage her, basically. Now, if that's true, then I should be held accountable for her death, So what's really, really important about this is that the whole story comes out, the whole truth comes out, and the detail in the truth. He goes on, I believe the evidence she tried to kill me is overwhelming, but other people need to see that. Stephen Lewis now has a new partner who he doesn't want to talk about, except to say that his ordeal did not stop him trusting people. He says, it never occurred to me to watch over my shoulder all the time. This was a one-off, and I was just a very rare victim of poisoning. It's time to put this in the past and get on with life. That was Did His Partner Try to Poison Him? on the long read... From Stuff, written by Martin Van Bainham, read and produced by Jono Williams. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support.